You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. You are a masterpiece in progress. So this over the last few weeks to remind you, as long as we're in this series, I'm going to remind you of the truth that Paul wants you to know and understand is that you are a masterpiece in progress and that before the creation of the universe, he thought of you and knew that he was going to call you out by name as to be a masterpiece in progress. He saw the finished product, even though today we may feel like there's moments of mess or total chaos. Before the creation of earth, he saw the completed project in you and said, I will call you out and do the work necessary in Christ to make you a masterpiece. So this morning, as we continue our series in Ephesians, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following. And if you remember from last week in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul said, when I think of, and then he kind of had a squirrel moment, where he, when, because he was thinking of something, it drew him back to chapter 1 and chapter 2, where he displayed some doctrine and taught us a little bit about what it meant for us to be a masterpiece in Christ. And so he kind of reminded us of that in verses 1 through 13, and now he gets back to this thing called prayer that he's going to do. And so this morning, we're going to think about what prayer is and how prayer can impact our life, and and Paul gives us a wonderful example of how we can pray. One, in posture, but then also in the words um, that we can offer up because of what God wants to do in us. And so again, here Paul is praying for us. Not himself. It's interesting to think about. Here Paul is in prison. We found out last week. He was in prison. And so even while he's in prison, he's not praying for himself. He's praying for us. He's praying for the Ephesians in Ephesus at the time and the things that they're going through. And so again, he's thinking outwardly. And so even his prayer for us begins to show his his concern for us and the, the way that he values and treasures the gospel for himself, but also what he wants to see the gospel to do in us and through us. So if you have your Bibles, when we looking at Ephesians 3 verse 14 here in just a second. And prayer is one of these interesting things of like, what is prayer? How do we pray? Why do we pray? How does praying work? It's this mystical thing that we, we think we understand when we get something we want, and then when we don't get something we want, we don't understand. And, and there's just this weird relationship with prayer and how it all works. And so Paul, I think, will give us a little bit of insight into it. And Paul was actually known as old camel knees because he spent so much time in prayer that um, he, he invested his life in prayer. And the reason that Paul invested so much of his time and energy in prayer is because he understood that prayer works. And he also understood that prayer worked because it worked in him. But it also did the work necessary and prepared the way, prepared the path for the things that he's going to be able to do. Because the work that he was doing wasn't dependent upon Paul, was but totally dependent upon God's activity in the hearts and souls and minds of those that he was going to be sharing the gospel with and the missionary work that he was doing. So he was relinquishing control by prayer. And that's one of the things that Paul wants us to see and understand as well, is that much of what prayer is, it's an ongoing dialogue with God and admitting to God that God is God and we're not. 
And as we admit that we're not God, we relinquish control and we allow Him to do the work that's necessary inside of us. And we kind of relinquish the ropes of trying to hold on and control things and say, God, you're God. I'm going to relinquish control here and let you do what only you can do in your power, your strength, and your wisdom. But that's that ongoing dialogue that we have with Him because we like to have control over things and think that we're smart and wise. And God's like, hey, I've got this. Just release. Let me be able to be God. What is prayer? There's common struggles of what to pray and how to pray. And because pastors like giving you stats, I'm going to give you some stats, okay, on prayer. This will change your life, all right? 65% of men seldom pray. All right, guys, we like to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We know what we can do. We know it. Here's the other, the other side of this, which I think is kind of funny or maybe ironic, is 60% of women pray daily. And I think that's because our men, they praying for their men because the men are doing dumb things. I don't know what that is, but kind of that whole thing going on. But when we do pray, 82% of us, we pray for family and friends. We're concerned for people outside of us. We want to, as we get to know what they're struggling with, what they're hurting, we, we reach out in that way. We also, 75% of us, we pray for our own problems. We realize, hey, we've got some stuff in our life and we're praying for that. And then almost half of us pray for the stuff that we're struggling with, our sins and the things that kind of hold us back. We pray for those things as well. 36% of us, we pray for the future and that we would be wealthy and prosperous. So uh, we have big dreams, and so we're praying that God would open that up. And it's kind of funny that the one of the next percentages is 21% of us are praying that the lottery will go ka into our pocket. All right? So if, if hard work doesn't get it, then, Lord, may you grant me the lottery, whatever. And if you, you know, if you win the lottery, please come see me. I will help you with that. Fifteen percent of us pray that we won't get caught. Interesting. Fifteen percent go to God who knows everything and say, God, please don't let anyone know what we've been up to. Um, That speaks to our theology and unknowingness of who God is. Fourteen percent of us ask God to avenge others for us, to take people out on our behalf. And uh, some of you maybe have prayed that prayer. Um, Do it nicely, God, but make sure that they know it's from me, right? Uh, This is my favorite. 13% of us pray that our favorite team will win. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's part of the lottery thing. If they pray and you put money on, I don't know. Um, This one's a city problem, I think. 7% of you pray for a parking spot. So you're driving around. Maybe now at the news stores, you know, maybe the news store in town that's gotten remodeled. Maybe you do that there because it can get crazy at times. But how we tend to pray is heal me, hand me, or help me. It's how we tend to pray. God, would you heal me? God, would you hand me what I think I need? And God, would you help me in my distress? And so we just, prayer is just one of these things we don't quite get and understand. And I don't know if we ever master it. But it's definitely a big part of our relationship with God. And so in Ephesians 3.14, Paul gives us a really good example. And I, th- I think one of the things that we can, can do is that if we're struggling with prayer, one, it's just a dialogue, so just talk to God. But if you're struggling like, hey, God, I have some, one of the things you can do is in your Bible or Google it or whatever and just say prayers in the Bible and go to the, some of those prayers and just pray them out. And um, that's a good way to be able to, to do some of that. 
But here Paul gives us one of those prayers that's an example for us in Ephesians 3.14. And it says this, When I think of all this, again, he's thinking about all the things that God's been up to, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of the everything in heaven and on earth. And so here Paul is, is this is interesting, because one, he falls to his knees, which he's known for, but this is not a regular Jewish style of praying. Most of the time when Jews pray, they're standing. So if you've ever seen in Israel the Western Wall, they're standing at the wall, the prayer wall, and they're standing and there's a tendency to rock back. So the more fervent you are in your prayer, the more there's a rocking to the prayer, the movement and the and the loudness of the prayer speaks to fervency, generally within Jewish prayers. But here Paul is showing us that there's an intimacy and an urgency to his prayer, so he falls to his knees on our behalf. And he falls to his knees in front of his father, so there's an intimacy in the relationship, but then he also falls to his knees in front of his father, who also happens to be the creator of everything. And so Paul falls to his knees in front of his father, the king of kings, and pleads on our behalf, he, he whispers those things that, that we need and he needs, but he prays to his father with an expectation because his father, who's the creator of everything, can answer them and has the power and authority to make sure that they will happen. And so he's letting his audience know, he's letting us know that, hey, listen, when I pray, I come to the king of kings, I come to the creator of the universe who's making me a masterpiece in progress. I come to him and I kneel before him. Because of who he is and his authority, but I also am able to crawl up in his lap and to share the, the deep depths of my hurt, my pain, my shame, regret, and know that my father has the power and authority to do something about it. And so that's one of the questions that we have for this morning is, do we pray as if God can do something about it? Do we believe that when we pray that one God will listen to us and then will he act on our behalf? And I think one of the reasons that we struggle with prayer is one, we don't believe that he can do something or that he will do something. And sometimes that's because we come with inadequate requests. We just come and just kind of like, we'll lay out the fleece and see if God will answer it. And then sometimes we come with things that are just truly selfish. And a good father's like, I'm not going to give you the keys to the car at five years old. And then sometimes we just don't believe that God's God. And we don't trust that he has the power and authority and the ability to respond to the requests that we have. So we give him weak requests. So here Paul reminds us that we have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe and have the ability to plead on behalf of ourselves, but maybe more importantly, on behalf of others. And then when we do that, our Father in heaven, the creator of all things, has the power and authority to do something. And so that we should pray like that. So, look at verse 16. Since that's how we should pray, that's our posture, that's our expectation of prayer. Pray, first thing I want you to get, is so that you will be stronger. So that you will be stronger. Verse 16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources. Now again, he's kind of drawing us back to what he's told us in verses 14 and 15. Is He's the creator of everything. He has unlimited resources and he's our father. Since all those things are true, then what? He will empower you or he will strengthen you. He will give you strength in your inner strength, in your inner self with his spirit. 
So his unlimited resources will be poured out on you and you will be strengthened by it from the inside out. One of the things that's true scripturally is that when you say yes to Jesus, in that moment that you acknowledge that you are not God and that you need God for salvation, when you say yes to him, God does something that's mysterious and he then takes residence with inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ resides in our heart and so now we become a temple of the living God. And so here this is the language that Paul is drawing on is that God has made his home in our heart. And so to be able to experience the fullness of this home, he has to strengthen the home, which literally means to clean out. So that the Spirit of God comes and He plugs in the power and resources you and powers you and encourages you and gives you the strength to live out the calling that you have in Christ. Because to be a follower of Jesus, you cannot live it out in your own power. It can only be lived out in the power of Christ. And so when you say yes to Him, then you plug into the power source, which is Him, and He strengthens your capacity to receive the fullness of all that God has for you. That makes sense? And so here Paul is saying is that God wants to make you stronger because you're going to be swimming upstream. And to be a follower of Jesus is not easy. And you're going to be mocked. You're going to be made fun of. There's going to be some difficult things to pursue the best things that God has for us. And so to be able to do that, we have to be plugged into the source and be empowered to take the steps that God has for us. And the second part, you will not only be stronger, but you will be homier. I didn't know how else to say that, okay? It's good preacher speak. You will be homier. And here's what that means. Verse 17. Then Christ, because because of what God's done in verse 16 of, of empowering and strengthening and making you ready, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Some of your versions that maybe you have, it says, then Christ will dwell in your house, will dwell in your hearts. And this idea of making himself at home, this idea of dwell, is there's, there's two words at play here. One is the word dwell, which means that you've rented an Airbnb in Europe somewhere, and you go for a week, and you make yourself at home. You experience that home and you're like, hey, this is comfortable, this is nice, but this is not my place. You're a foreigner and a stranger here, and one after a week you're going to go back to another place that you call home. So that's one way that we dwell, and that's how we dwell as Christians. Is that God tells us that you are dwelling here, but it's a temporary dwelling. You are a foreigner and a stranger in this land because as followers of Jesus, our home is heaven. But we're temporarily here. We dwell here as foreigners and strangers, but this is not our home. This is why it feels awkward and weird sometimes because we're living on a different agenda. But here the dwell is a dwell of this is your home. It's got your smell. It's got your chair with your rear end indentions in it. It's got your Cheeto stuff over here. It's got, it's your house. And so that when you pull in the driveway, something washes over you, relax. The day is gone. Life is different at home because it's your space. It's your refuge. It's your safety place. It's where you do, you do what you do and no one else can know what you do because you're doing it in your home. It's this house becomes a home. Your family and and the intimacy of a home like that is what people long for. 
And so here what Paul is telling us is if we allow God to do the power work that he needs to do in our heart and our life, then it makes our heart ready to be the home where Christ can fully work and do what he needs to do in us and through us. In other words, God through the power of the Holy Spirit, enters into our heart, which is our home, and he goes into every single room, every single closet, every single bathroom, every single little nook and cranny of your house, and he does the necessary work of cleaning up and preparing so that when Jesus settles in there, he's at home. And that we don't have to hide that closet. Or we don't have to close that door. That there's no place of our heart and our soul and our mind that's off limits to Jesus because the power of the Holy Spirit has done its work so that Jesus can reside there and do what Jesus does when he takes residence at home. So, so us, then let God do that work to be stronger because in that strong home, Jesus takes residence and dwells with us. That's the only place, that's the only type of place where Jesus is at home in a heart that's strengthened through the power of the Spirit of God. The second part of verse 17. So then your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. Some of yours will say roots grow down deep in a, in a foundation being established, rooted and grounded. And so there's two terms there that are, that are important to know. One is roots is a tree. We understand that here around LaGrange because we have oak trees and we see the roots going everywhere. And what are those roots doing? They're seeking a source of water. They're seeking a source of life and sustenance. And so they'll go for miles to seek after that. And so that's the idea here that Paul is giving us is that as we experience the love of God, as he does what he does in our home, our roots go down deep. That we seek the source of life. And as we seek the source of life, because life will happen, life will stink at moments. And as our tree of life is there, the winds will blow and it will move us back and forth. And if our roots aren't deep, and our roots aren't where they're supposed to be, then life will blow us over. And he also says not only should our roots be deep, but our foundation should be strong. And the idea of strong is an architectural term of if you want a 50-story building, you don't build a five-story foundation. And so if we want a 50-story faith, then God's going to have to do 50-story deepening of the foundation. That means he's got some work to do. That means he's got some drilling to do. That means he's got some preparation to do. That means he's got some rebar to lay. That means he's got some time. And so if you want a 50-story faith, that means that there's more work to be done and, and foundational stuff to be done so that God can do the things in you because a 50-story building will experience life at a whole other level than a five-story building. Have you ever been in a building that's really tall? If you felt it sway? Did you know it's supposed to? Even though you don't want it to. I was in the Eiffel Tower. And I was praying, Lord, please do not make the wind blow and do not make this thing sway. And my wife is whispering sweet nothings of truth. It's supposed to sway. And I was like, not right now. (laughs) But that's life. And so if you want to have the view and perspective and experience life like top of Eiffel Tower life, then the foundation of your faith has to be deeper than five stories. And that's not work that we do on our own. That's only the work that the power of God can do in us.
as he works his roots deeper. As we do the work of seeking out the sustenance and the source of life and the roots, but he is the one that provides the strength for us. And why do we do that? Why do the roots go down? Why do the foundation be so that we can go down and experience the fullness of God's love? What you love is more important than what you believe. Here's why. Because what captures your heart determines your affections and your attentions. I can tell you what you believe by what you love. Because I can see your actions. Your actions show us what you truly love. Look at your bank account. Look at your calendar. Look at the way that we show investments. And we can tell you what you love and what you believe. Verse 18. And may you have the power to understand this. Again, God, God expanding our capacity. That when we plug into the power source, He doesn't just expand our battery and charge it up. He expands the power of the motor. He expands our capacity to carry. And so this power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep His love is. So in other words, he expands our capacity. As we plug in, he expands the capacity of our ability to understand and to know. And then what's the very next verse say in 19? May you experience the love of Christ. And this isn't a head knowledge experience. This is a jump off into the deep end experience. And so what Paul is telling us is that you can jump off to the deep end to experience the fullness of God's love. But in reality, we will never exhaust the ocean of God's love for us. And so that even though we may have swimmed for eons and dipped deep down in our, in our swimming, it's only like touching, sitting on the edge of the pool and touching it with our toe. is how much we've actually exhausted. That we may feel like we've swum and had this real complete experience and we're like, yes, God loves me, I've experienced this. And God's like, that's just sitting on the edge, tapping your toe. There's so much more to me than that. To experience the power. To experience Him becoming home in you and digging deep your roots and experiencing the power of what it means to understand the capacity of the love that He has for us. And I, I, I have kids. And I can tell you there's nothing that explains to me God's love better than having kids. And so there's those moments where you just want, your, your, your kids are frustrating you and whatever, and you're just like, listen, you just wait till you have your own kids. And it's in those moments where you're like, you're like, you're not telling them that because you necessarily want them. It's just this, this moment of like, listen, the only reason that you're still here is because I love you. But it's in those moments you also understand it's the power of God's love. That you get a glimpse of tipping the toe in the water of how much God loves us. And it's these things, as I hear from people all the time, young parents are saying, I didn't understand what love was. I love my spouse, but man, something about having a kid just changes your capacity to love and what love possibly is. That's God's love for us. We just get a little glimpse. You also, verse 19, the second part, you will be fuller. You'll be stronger, you'll be homier, you will be fuller. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. In other words, somebody will be able to say, you are full of it. And not mean that you're full of it. But that you're full of Him. That you're experiencing the vastness of His love. We have a tendency to focus on our problems 
not God's power and authority. When we pray, we think about our stuff instead of focusing on the power and authority that God has as our Father and the Creator that has ultimate resources for everything for us. Think about it this way. I was talking with somebody this past week about prayer as we were thinking about this and talking about it and just asking them what are their thoughts on prayer and all that. And one of the things that was a great little thought that, that had come across, and it was this, is if you're praying in your own house and it's just you, and if someone overheard your prayers, what would they believe about your God? So if you're in your home praying and it's just you and you're just, you're just there talking, what would they believe? What would they hear from your conversation with God? What would they believe about your God because of the way that you pray? And I'll be honest, I think for me, many times, it's very much self-centric. Hey, God, here's the stuff I'm dealing with. Hey, God, here's the things. God, would you pray, take care of my kids? Would you take care of my wife? Would you take care of my family? Would you take care of this church member or that church member? And, and those aren't things aren't bad. But God wants so much more. And what does it look like? Who is the God that we pray to? Final thing is that He will be praised. As we experience the fullness of God and the strength and the power, and as Christ makes His home within us, He will be praised. Verse 20, Now all glory to God who is able, through His mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Interestingly enough, God hasn't answered all my prayers. Or at least answered them in the way that I would like for Him to answer them. God answers and is involved with every single prayer. And if God doesn't answer yes to your prayer, it's not because He cannot or He can't or couldn't. It's because His desire and His plan for our life exceeds our prayers. Many times we come to God and say, God, this is what I need. And as our Father, a good Father, He says, that's a good dream. But I have so much more for you. My plan for you exceeds even your own plan. Let's keep working. Let's keep dreaming. Let's keep this conversation going. God doesn't have limits, but we limit Him. Prayer changes us from the inside out. My prayer for us as we dig into prayer is one that we would just pray with fervency and intimacy. To know that our Father is a good Father, but He has a power and authority to act, and that He wants us to come and ask. He wants us to be in His presence. He wants that dialogue, that conversation to happen because He knows that in those moments that our heartbeat and our alignment, our dreams and our desires, He expands our capacity to align with His. And He gives us the power and the authority to live life to the fullest because He sees from beginning of time He called us out, and he saw the masterpiece. Even in the midst of the mess, he saw the masterpiece that would be. And he said, come, let me do the work on the outside. And people will see the work that's happening here, 
by the way that you love, by the way that you care. And that work happens in the quiet, still place in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning. We just want to kneel before you. We want to crawl in your lap. And just acknowledge that you are God and we're not. To acknowledge that the requests that we have, that you have the power and the authority to answer them. But as a good father, you have the wisdom and discernment to say yes and to say no or to say maybe not yet. And that, Father, that your concern for us is less about what we get, but what you get to do on the inside. The heart work, the character work, the will work, the motivator work, what motivates us and moves us, what our heart affection is for. Father, you're working on our affections. And so, Father, I just pray that we would be okay with opening the front door to our heart and saying, come in, do the cleaning. Maybe even, God, would you give us the courage to take you to the closet that we've been hiding? to the room that we've closed off that we don't want anybody to know about. That, Father, that that's the room that maybe is a room of, of death and pain and shame and regret, that it's a, pain, a, a room that you want to bring life and joy to. So, Father, I pray this morning that you would make us stronger that we would make our heart homier for Jesus. And that, Father, that when life squeezes us, that we're so full of you that you ooze out and not all the stuff from life. May you be brought honor and glory. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Crosspoint Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Crosspoint Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.